Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. This is Jazz Voices, a show that features conversations with faculty from Centrum's Jazz Port Townsend, led by Artistic Director John Clayton. I'm Program Manager Greg Miller. Every great musician has been shaped in part by teachers, mentors, or experiences that resonate throughout their lives. We're accustomed to hearing these world-class musicians express themselves through their performances, but they are also thoughtful, articulate, and witty, as you will hear. I hope you'll enjoy this episode of Centrum's Jazz Voices. Hi to everybody. Welcome to Jazz Voicings. This is our chance to get together with some friends in music and talk about whatever the heck we want to talk about. Uh, before we dive in, um, big thanks to Greg Miller, to Joe Gillard, to Centrum Organization for making all of this happen. Uh, and we're going to tonight kind of go down the path of the great Ray Brown, who is sort of the link that ties us all together here tonight. Um, we have three graduates of his trio with us tonight that Ray Brown School uh, was in existence for a long time. And um, uh, so uh, I want to welcome Jeffrey Kieser. Welcome, graduate of the Ray Brown School, amazing piano player, Jeffrey Kieser. Thanks for being here. Uh, also, Benny Green. Greens, man, thank you for being here. And uh, my man, my favorite drummer, best friend, Jeff Hamilton also joining us tonight. So welcome, you guys. Glad you're here. Nice to be here again. Thank you. Thank you. So I thought oh, just to kind of Great to be here. Yeah, yeah, Jeffrey. I know that Jeffrey Keezer is in his car en route to someplace, who knows, some hopefully someplace that has good music. Yeah, I'm, we're driving back home, actually. We've been, uh, Jillian and I and our three-year-old Malcolm, we've been in Wisconsin the last couple months um, dealing with some family business, and and now we are finally on our way back home, and uh, looking forward to getting back out east, you know, where we people are a little bit more conscientious about the uh, the masking and distancing thing. It's, a, it's been a little loosey-goosey out here, <laughs> so yeah, we're look, looking forward to getting home, but we're basically just driving today and driving overnight and hoping hope to get there by the morning <laughs> so i'm it's a little dark wow, in the car if car. i turn the light on i'd look like uh, the phantom of the opera or something right now so i think we're just gonna stay <laughs> audio <laughs> i got an idea for for getting us kind of jump started not that we need it obviously um all right I, let me hear from each of you in one word in one word explain what Ray Brown's personality was like. Huh. Go for it. Anybody, anybody can start. One word. I got a Joyous. few of these. Say it again. Joyous. Joyous. Intense. Intense. Jeffrey. Is 
is supportive a personality word? Because yeah. I always felt really, I felt really, really supported, you know, in that yep. band, like, yep. like in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, in one word, in one word, what was it like? Wait, wait you didn't playing? answer your own question, John. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't, I wasn't going to be a part of this. I was going to leave it to the trio, but yeah, if I had, in one word, I would say, um, this is a hyphenated word, eye-opening. So that would be it. Now, you mean I got to play this game too? Oh, I'm in trouble now. Let me change this up. Uh, <laughs> so in one word, uh, what was it? What was the experience like playing with Ray Brown? One word. Exhilarating. Intense. I have a small uh, vocabulary, John. <laughs> oh man, um, it was it was wonderful. It was just absolutely wonderful. Okay, which That's one? Two absolutely, words. absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Which one? Absolutely or wonderful? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Is that your final answer? <laughs> I think so. I, I can I can I can I make can I call a friend? Can I, how does that work? <laughs> your lifeline. Yeah. Yeah, my lifeline. Hey, Jillian. <laughs> I'm calling my wife oh, in the front seat. May, may, oh. may I ask you, John, since you played with Ray as well? Uh, another hyphenated word: butt kicking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In one word, what was it like traveling with Ray Brown? Hyphenated. <laughs> that's four oh, words <laughs> rich, I'll, rich. I'll, I'll throw one in uh it, it was an education <laughs> okay <laughs> it was it was Chris. road road 101 or what's the advanced classes 301 road 301 or something <laughs> Dig it. Greatest. Yeah. Greatest. Oh. I, you know, Jim, I, I was thinking about those lengthy tours we used to do. We'd be, we'd be playing one-nighters in Europe. And uh, I'd be, we'd be in, in, a, in a bus or a van, and I had my mini-disc player. <laughs> and we'd be on those long drives through Germany, man. I, I get in a lot of hours of listening. Oh, yeah. So educational. Yeah, then we go and then we'd hit. It was great fun. The best. Right. Yeah, yeah, because you could, in, in those days, you could drive, or, you know, you could spend two weeks in, just in Germany playing little jazz clubs and every, every town seemed like it had a club in it. Called Jazz Keller. Yeah. yeah. Right? So great. Keller or Killer? Killer. My word, or um, traveling with Ray Brown would be comical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. All right, two more. Um, one word, Ray Brown's sound. Huge. If fat. Oh, that was going to be mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big, big. Yeah, listen, listen, somebody, one time I sat in, a, someone was interviewing Ray, uh, I think we were in Europe, and they said, you know, Mr. Brown, you, why do you play such a big bass? 
and he says, I like everything big. I like big cars, big bank accounts. <laughs> uh, you know, I like, you know, dot, big dot, instruments. Dot. I just, yeah, dot, dot, dot. I like everything big. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Word. Uh, Ray Sound. Ray Sound, I know. I'm just trying to think of the word. Oh, well, word. well, one of us could be with an F, the other could be with a PH. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I would, but I would also say, what would be the word for not, it's, it's beyond engaging. It's like somebody putting their hand in your, inside your intestines and just ripping them out. What would, what word would, ex, would exemplify that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that would be dis, disemboweling. <laughs> disemboweling. <laughs> that would be the word for that thing you're describing right now. Jeffrey, we gotta find you another you know, lifeline, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, Let's saving see. Private Not, Ryan, you know, Normandy invasion yeah. scene. You know? I guess we, yeah, from there we'd go to diuretic. Oh, Someone wrote gut wrenching. Uh, That's probably better. Yeah, probably better than disemboweling. <laughs> reminded me when when Christian McBride was about 18 and he was playing with me and I was listening to a lot of the Oscar Peterson trio records uh, especially the trio with with drums with Ed Thigpen and Ray Brown and I, I would listen with Christian and Christian would say I I can only take I can take about 10 minutes he said because my stomach starts hurting too much <laughs> hurting good that's right. You put it on you. That's right. Okay, so this goes right in line with that. One, and then we're done. One word to explain Ray Brown's groove. Depth. Depth. Relentless. Relentless. Oh, boy. Um, Heart-wrenching, Jeffrey? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the groove just, it just felt so good. It's not one word. Um, that's a tough one. <laughs> a word to describe Ray, Ray Brown's groove. Pocket. <laughs> Pocket. That, that other word one. that we use for groove, just, just yeah. deep, deep. How about deep? Deep. Deep, deep pocket. Whatever you feel. Deep groove. Yeah. Mine would be, now mine would be intense. I yeah, yeah, yeah. That would. <laughs> All right, let's just some some intro. Uh, Jeffrey Keezer, what was your intro to Ray Brown, and, and how'd you become? All of you guys, one at a time. But Jeff, start. Uh, Jeffrey, start, and let us know what your intro was to Ray Brown and how you became a, a trio member. Um, well, I first heard Ray on on you know Oscar Peterson Trio records that my dad had in his collection. Um, but I met Ray Brown, actually, I think I met him at the Blue Note when he was playing, he was played with Oscar, that, that uh, very tall band played at the Blue Note in New York. Like, was it the, kind of in the mid nineties or 98. something? Yeah, 98, right. And I met Ray there just really briefly. No, 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 I knew Ray, I was, in, I was already in the band by then. I, I don't know. I, I think it was Ray and Oscar and Bobby Durham maybe playing trio. Does that make sense? You were Herb Ellis? I, I, gosh. But anyway, I, I actually uh, met him, like, spoke, to, like, like, met in, like, in person um, 
at that gig. Christian Christian McBride did a gig in Philly at I want to say Penn's Landing, and he was playing with a bunch of different people. But but he had on the concert that the trio with the basses with Milt Hinton and Ray. It was about '94. Yeah, somewhere around there. It was one of those gigs that Marianne Topper booked. Yep, I remember. And that's where, that's where Ray, I think, maybe heard me play first. And then, actually, he called me right around the same time, uh, just out of the blue. He was doing that record called Some of My Best Friends Are the Pianists. And it was actually on my 24th birthday. It was November of 1994. And I got this phone call, you know, Keezer, Ray Brown. And I said, and I couldn't believe it. it was actually him. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Brown, uh, you know, what's, what's going on? And he said, right now I'm, I'm down here at Avatar Studios. Uh, and, you know, uh, Ama Jamal just left. And Benny Green is down here. And Lewis Nash is playing drums. And we got Dotto, some of my best friends are the pianist. And I wondered if you'd like to come down and play a couple songs with me. And like, by the time he said that, I was already in a cab on my way to the studio, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I just couldn't believe it that, you know, and, and so I sat down at the piano and, um, and he, he said to me, what would you like to play? And I was just kind of like, what would I like to play? You know, what would you like to do, Mr. Brown? He's like, no, just call a tune. You know, he was, he was really loose in the studio as, as, as you know, I mean, I think out of the, the nine or 10 records that I played on with Ray, most of it, most of the arrangements were just made up, like kind of on the spot, wow. you know, in the studio. And um, he would just sing an intro and, you know, throw in a bridge or an interlude or a shout chorus or something. And that's just kind of how he would, how he would do things. Um, and then about a year later or two years later, he called me to sub, uh, to sub for Benny on two gigs in Europe, I guess that you couldn't make for some reason, but one was in Perugia. At, at the Umbria Jazz Festival, and the other was a gig, I think, in Germany. And um, and then I we were eating dinner, and I said, you know, Ray, I, if you know if Benny Green ever decides he wants to leave the the band, I would love a shot, you know, at the gig. And then about two years later, I got another one of those magical phone calls, you know, from Ray, and he said, well, Benny's leaving, and you still want the gig, and <laughs> and I said, and I pretended that I had like one of those data, uh, you know, year at a glance calendars in front of me. And I was kind of it was like a magazine that I was flipping through to make it the sound of like pages being turned. And I said, uh, let me just check my calendar. Flip, 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 flip. I said, yeah, I think I can make that work. And literally I had nothing on my calendar at all. <laughs> and and so I joined, I joined this band in 1997. And it, it was, um, it was, in, it really, really incredible thing um there were no um there were no like charts you know in terms of you know these days we band leaders we kind of hold people's hands quite a bit we we send out drop boxes full of mp3s and pdfs of music and give people plenty of advance notice and with with ray and it was the same thing with art blakey and, and quite a few of the older cats that i got to play with that you just you know, you joined the band, you were expected to know the book. And so I went and bought probably the 10 most recent Ray Brown records I could find. And they were all mostly trios with, with Benny and Jeff. 
um, and some were like, uh, you know, Gene Harris trios. But I just transcribed all the tunes off all those records. And so when I uh, was able to play the first gig with Ray, I had a, a stack of charts, probably 60 or 70 charts that I made. So, I, you know, I wanted to make sure I was ready. And, and Ray said, um, you know, we can just play a tune or something. You know, do you know, take the A train or Stella by Starlight? You know, he was just, he was very gracious in that he wasn't trying to put me on the spot. But, you know, I, I said, well, you know, I, let's, I'm, you know, we can play anything you want from your book. I've, I've got it together. So um, that, that was my introduction. And, and, then, and then over the three years that I played in his band, he added maybe 20 or 30 more tunes because, as you guys know, he had a, a condo, a timeshare condo in, in Hawaii that he would go to every January to play golf. And I guess he had a, my understanding was he had an electric keyboard over there in his condo and he would write new arrangements every year and then bring them back. And in February, we would get together to rehearse. I mean, that's what we did, at least when I was in the band. It might be different for, for Jeff and Benny, but that, that's as I understand it how, it, how it happened, how it worked. <laughs> that's great. Awesome. Benny. Yeah. And it was the same as I was going to ask you, um, John and Jeff, because you go back before me, of course, with Ray. I knew him, um, Jeff, to do the timeshare thing like around December. Yeah, you go there for Christmas yeah. and then yeah. stay, stay into January. Yeah. Yeah. So I first um, I first became aware of Ray on um, the records with the Oscar Peterson trio. Um, a few of the rec of the records with Herb Ellis, uh, like live at the Stratford Stratford Shakespearean Festival, and uh, the concert Gabao. Um, but it's, I was especially hearing the records with the Oscar Peterson trio, like uh, uh, live uh, from Chicago from the London House. Um, we get requests, and the record they made with Mill Jackson, very tall, mm -hmm. uh, something warm, also from the London House. I was hearing those records, and then. Oscar Peterson, Ray Brown, and Louis Belson came to my hometown where I'm speaking to you from. They came to Berkeley in 1978. And they played at the Greek Theater. So I heard them. And uh, so 1978, uh, Oscar was uh, like 53. Ray, Ray was about 52, or about to be 52, you know. And um, uh, Man, I was really struck, well, so much. I could talk about that concert all night, but Ray was so youthful. And I knew, I knew that he went back like to Dizzy Gillespie and, and the big man in the 40s. I knew that, but I'm looking at him and like, man, he's like, he's like a young spry cat. Wow. And I was just taking it in like, yeah, he's this age, but he's not that number at all. And that was sort of like the first thing I noticed about Ray just as a man, as a human. Um, and then, my God, his sound. And it occurred to me, I mean, the amplification was beautiful at the Greek theater, but his sound, we were looking, we were each looking for like singular words to describe it, you know? And you can all appreciate this. And, and people who've heard Ray, which is a lot of the world, can appreciate like, the sound is just so round. You almost couldn't mess it up. It's a, it was just, it just filled, it was outdoors. There was no ceiling, but it just, it somehow filled the sky. 
and the ground. I just felt it. So that concert was uh, maybe the most impactful concert I've ever been to. Uh, because I mean, the whole trio, uh, Oscar and, and Ray and, and Louis Belson, you could feel like the spirit of, of Duke Ellington and Basie and, and Art Tatum, Nat Cole, you could feel it. I didn't know about Nat Cole yet, but you could just feel this depth, man. And the, uh, the piano was massive, it was like a, a concert grand piano. You know, like when you see Bugs Bunny playing the cartoon, like super long. <laughs> and Oscar made it look like a little toy piano. <laughs> it looked like a toy piano when Oscar sat to it and he just, he ruled. And there was a lot of like teenagers and the hippies out there. This is the seventies. And man, it was the same thing that Ray has, but magnified with Ray and Oscar together. You, you, you guys, we all know this, everyone here being on the stage with Ray, if there were any squares in the audience at the time that we hit, by the end of the night, he would have made converts of everyone in the room. You know what I'm talking about? My God. So that was my first time hearing Ray live. And then I feel like I've told this story about the first time I spoke to Ray so many times. I don't want to be monotonous. I feel like the whole world has heard my story. Uh, I'll try to make it really abbreviated though. So I was playing with Betty Carter, fast forward many years, 1984. So that's six years later. I was playing with Betty Carter in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. International Jazz Festival there. And uh, Ray was playing in his co-led trio with Milt Jackson, featuring Cedar Walton and Mickey Roker. Uh, and I went to hear them in the venue they were playing after we played with Betty. And uh, it, um, I got to get you know, really close, you know, feel that vibration of the bass, like even more viscerally, I guess. And uh, one of the songs they played was Errol Garner's, you know, a classic ballad, Misty, and Ray's notes, man, it's just, they're just so right, you know, the way they just, the way they open the melody up, you know, and I was just in awe of the notes he was playing, and uh, just the half notes and whole notes, and, you know, and quarter notes that he was playing on that melody, and so uh, after they played the set, I kind of, I got up the courage to speak to Ray and it was sort of like my feet led me over there before I was prepared, you know, really to, I hadn't really uh, formulated my thoughts, my sentence, but I asked Ray, I introduced myself, told him my name that I was playing with Betty Carter. He said, okay, he was kind of dry. And I said, may I ask you a musical question? He said, all right. I said, when you were playing Misty just now, I said, in the fifth and the sixth bar of the bridge, what changes were you playing? <laughs> and Ray got up in my face. He said, the right changes, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exaggerating the voice too much, you know? <laughs> and I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I backed away. And so the next couple of years, I would go to hear Ray's trio with Gene Harris and, and Mickey Roker at the Blue Note but when Ray would walk off the stand, I would just back up. I was so, I was frightened of him. And then uh, a few years later, it was 1990, 90 or 91. I'll say, was it, maybe it was 91, Hammer. Um, I think 91, I think. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So Christian McBride and I were playing duo at the Knickerbocker Saloon in New York City. And Ray was playing uh, with his trio with Gene and Jeff 
at the Blue Note. And um, Marianne Topper, um, who we just lost, uh, with our, our manager at the time, Christian yeah. and I, and uh, <clears throat> someone that, you know, Ray really um, kind of cultivated in, in, the, in the business. Um, and uh, she um, told Ray about us, put him in a taxi, like as soon as, as soon as he got off the bandstand, brought him down to the Knickerbocker here, Christian and my final set. Ray sat right up in front of us and, and he dug it. He dug it. Um, uh, he, he, was, um, he, he was smiling and laughing and, and Christian and I finished the set and we came uh, to shake his hand. And he said, hearing you two reminds me of me and Oscar when we were your age. I appreciate him putting me in the same age bracket as Christian. <laughs> and, um, and it was it was just it, it seemed like it was just a couple months later hammer well christian and i came to the blue note the next night and um we sat right up uh, near near gene and uh ray introduced us to the audience we felt 10 feet tall and then i was going to say fast forward we were in mm. in japan uh at the short-lived playboy jazz festival in japan i think maybe only lasted about two years if that and uh, I was there with a group called the Jazz Futures with Christian and Carl Allen, uh, Roy Hargrove, uh, Marlon Jordan, Antonio Hart, Tim Warfield, and uh, Mark Whitfield. And Ray was there with his trio, with Gene in his uh, lime sherbet uh, three-piece suit. That's right. And, and, and Jeff, Jeff Hamilton. And uh, so we played first with the Jazz Futures, with the, with the, the youth group. Carl Allen and I were the ringers. I was about 28 or so. Carl was 29 or so. Um, but the other kids were in their early 20s. As soon as we got off the bandstand, Ray was standing right there. And he was smiling. He said, are you available to record? And I wasn't as, as, uh, as coy as, as Jeff. I just, I was just like practically with my tongue out. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he said, you got a phone number? <laughs> <laughs> I gave him my number, and uh, yeah, shortly thereafter, I, Ray flew me to L.A. to play with him and Jeff for the very first time, uh, um, and also my very first time playing with James Morrison, whose record it was. It was a record called Two, the number two, the Max. And uh, man, I'd been playing along with the records, so I'd been playing with the rhythm section of Ray and Jeff. So it didn't feel foreign, but it was like, whoa, this is really happening. It was so beautiful. And, and they were like, they're reacting to what I was doing in the moment, you know, as contrasted with playing along with the recording. It was so great. So after we finished the record date, uh, Ray said, uh, we're gonna be going to Australia and Gene can't make about the first 10 days or so. Um, would you like to do it? I said, absolutely. He said, okay, why don't you get a few of our records, learn about 10 or 12 of the songs and that'll be our repertoire for the tour. And little did he know, I had all the records, man. I really, really wanted to be in the band, as you both knew, John and Jeff. I really wanted to be in the band. In fact, you called it, John, when I came to your house to visit. Um, I came uh, for a hang and lesson and jam and just have tea with you, and it's, it's been a lovely afternoon. And as I was leaving, you came outside for me as I was waiting for my taxi, and you said, Benny, if you could play with anyone in the world, 
who would that be? And I said, anyone bar none? He said, yes. I said, well, if I could play with anyone, I want to play with Ray Brown. And you said, well, you will. And I can't, I, I just want to thank you forever, John, because the, the, the belief that you instilled in me, and you continue to do that for so many people, man. Because when we know that you believe in us and you're vocal with it, you make it so for us. It really makes a big difference. So I just wanted to tell you, man, we love you, John. Like everyone, the Central community and the whole world, the music community, you're precious, man. Thank you for what you do for us. Thank you, bro. My pleasure. And you wanted it. That's probably yeah. what I saw more than anything. You know, so I was just mirroring what what you were about. But thank you. Thank, thank you, sir. Yeah. Hammer, how did you uh, connect with Ray Brown? I'd like to uh, <laughs> summarize this with one word. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. Five-minute word. Uh, well, like like uh, like Benny had mentioned, I'd been playing to, to Oscar Peterson records. The first one was the Trio Plays, followed by Night Train, and and uh, and I there's a, and also the, the Clark Terry record plus one, Oscar Peterson Trio with Clark Terry, and there's a photo of Ray on the front with his pinky out, as we as we who've played with him know, and you know John, he comes around the string, and this is like leverage when he comes around the string, and I would stare at that hand while I was playing to the trio plays. I would just have that trio plus one record in front of me, imagining him playing those quarter notes. And I felt like, I think I'm, I think I'm locking in with this record okay. I think this is okay. Now I was like 10 or 12 or something when all this happened, you know? So it's like, you, you're not really locking in. So I, I kept playing to the records in hopes that one day I would be able to play with that hand on the album cover or Oscar Peterson. And so Benny, the same thing happened with me uh, when we were at Indiana University together. John is, is a year older, so he's a lot wiser than me, apparently, because he told me the same thing. He said, who do you want to, who do you want to play with? And I said, well, Ray Brown, Oscar Peterson, Woody Herman, and the Count Basie Orchestra. And he said, then you'll do it. And, you know, the whole thing is, how badly do you want it? And the next question was, how many, how many Oscar Peterson records do you have? I said, 12. He said, you need 312. How many Woody Herman records do you have, et cetera? So I skipped school the next day. Not, I'm not recommending that to students that are listening. <clears throat> and I bought all the discount records at the record store for 39 cents. And I went back and listened for a whole week of all these bands that I wanted to play on. And I started doing my homework. And then I'd go study with, with uh, or be, become friends with Ed Thigpen and ask him what it was like playing with Oscar Peterson and meeting Don Lamont from Woody Herman's band and so on, Jay Canna, to ask them these stories about what did I need to do musically to be on the band? What, what was needed? So the first time I met Ray was when John and I were with Monty Alexander in 1975 and 76. And right, we, right before we did the Soul Fusion record with Mill Jackson, we were playing a week at the Lighthouse. And uh, Ray was booking Milt at the time. So he, as a businessman, as we all know Ray was, uh, he came into the club to see how business was, how many butts were in the seats, you know. And so John said, um, Ray's here, and, and now's your chance to meet him. And I said, well, okay. So I went down, and I was in a bad mood because the setup was such that I was behind the piano with the lid up. All you could see was the bottom half of my bass drum. And so... Uh, 
I Who do that to the rhythm section? <laughs> so moving right along, I uh, <laughs> so I so I said to uh, uh, Ray said, "Hi, how you doing?" I said, "Okay." He says, "You sound good. You sound good." And I said, "Thanks." You know, and he said, um, "So how do you like being behind the piano?" And I said, uh, "I don't." And he said, "Yeah, okay." I said, "Could we have lunch tomorrow? I'd like to talk to you." And he said, "Are you buying?" You know, it's anybody who knows Ray. And so uh, I met him the next day for lunch and he kind of laid out a plan that uh, would fit what my questions were. And, and at the end of it, he said, so do you know anybody on Woody's band? I said, yeah, I do. He said, you know anybody on Count Basie's band? I said, I, I know one, but I don't think they would, they would know me to recommend him. He says, he says, all right, I'll call Bill and I'll get back with you. I said, Bill, and he says, Bill Basie. And I said, oh, right, first name basis, right? <laughs> and so, and so, so I called Woody Herman's band that day. They had an opening and wanted me right away. I mean, everything Ray told me, it was like it happened immediately. And he said, but I want you to stay in touch with me. And I said, okay. So I did. Woody's band played Disneyland six months later at the Carnation's Garden. And I were staying at the Hollywood Roosevelt right across from Groman's Theater in Hollywood. I called him up and I said, I don't want to pester you, but you did tell me to stay in touch with you. Hey, I'm glad you called. Are you in town? I said, yeah, I'm at, you know, playing Disneyland with Woody's band. He said, good. He said, listen, I got this little quartet you might be interested in. And I'm thinking, what? He said, Shelly Mann was a drummer and he just left. So that was the LA4. And he hired me over the phone to be in the LA4. I mean, it was just, you know, and so from then, Ray kind of took me under his wing, like he has all of us. And... Um, and so that that morphed into getting the offer for his trio when Mickey Roker left. And so it was just, it just, Ray just sort of looked out for you if he knew you were interested, dedicated, and really wanted to be there. And it, it was, I, I miss, I miss, I miss the dinners and hanging out with him as much as I miss the bandstand. And that's saying a lot because we all know what the bandstand was like. There's nothing mm -hmm. like it and there'll never be anything like it. That was it. It was my, like my first night with Oscar Peterson and Herb Ellis turned around. It was at the Blue Note. It was Ray and Oscar. And Herb turned around at the end of the gig and he was sitting kind of in front of the drums. He called me Tinkty for Tinkty Boom. You know, he says, well, Tinkty, did you like that? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's good because it ain't ever going to get any better. And he turned back around and that was it. And that's kind of the way I feel about playing with Ray. I don't know if it'll ever get any better. It'll be different, you know, with everybody you play with, but man, there was only one Ray Brown experience. And, and uh, well, I'm so grateful that, that I, that I got, got to follow him first of all, and become friends with him and then play with him for 18 years. Wow. 18 uh, years. Benny. You know, question. On the heels of what Jeff Hamilton just said, in in light of what Herb Ellis had said to him about it, it ain't never going to get better than that. That's the flip side of having played with Ray. Just to be real, I try to explain it to people who are interested in in knowing because it is downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, though, as and are you still with us, Mr. Keezer? What, what is that? No, I was just Sorry? making sure you were there. I am here. Okay, beautiful. Because I couldn't see your face. Um, well, uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't want Ray to right now. Didn't make us. Now Ray had played 
with everyone from Duke Ellington. I'm talking about the piano. Oh yeah. Right? To, to Nat King Cole, right? To, to, to Hank Jones, to Thelonious Monk, to Bud Powell, you know, everybody, man, everybody. Yeah. Basie, you know, and so he didn't make us, uh, uh, me and Jeff and, and, and Larry Fuller followed us in the band. He didn't make us feel like we were little kids and we didn't belong and that it was like, it was downhill for him. That's the interesting thing, or the big thing about him, I want to say. He made us really feel like we belonged, and not just like he's being nice to us, but he was genuinely having fun with us. And so that's my dilemma. Yep. If we're having a real talk here, you know, inclusive of all things, is dealing with that, like life after Ray Brown, after having been to the mountaintop, when in fact, like, we're all like, we're like messengers. We're intended to be here in this time, including the COVID, all of it, <clears throat> and, and really spreading this continuum of love. Well, I think on the heels of that, Benny, um, the story that your story reminds me of <clears throat> is me being in the, the super bass group. I may have told this to you before, forgive me if I have, but I'm in, and we were rehearsing in Seattle in a condo and we we're rehearsing some song. I had Ray Brown on my right, Christian on my left, and Ray played a solo on the tune that was just beautiful, killing. And then Christian played a solo that was just crazy good. Then it was my turn to play and I just froze. And I said, they said, what's wrong? I said, man, you guys just play so much stuff on that. I, I, I can't do that. I don't. I, I just feel I'm at a loss. Man. And they both were dumbfounded and said, "What are you talking about? You, you, you play stuff that we can't play." And I forgot I'd fallen into that trap of comparing my expression to somebody else's expression. Mm. And Ray was a great. You know, he and Christian reminded me of that at that point. So when I play with people that maybe don't get the message, don't get the lesson or at a, at a different level than I am, or haven't gone down the same paths that I have, I think back on that. And I remember, I'm reminded, you know what, man, I don't need to compare where I am and my expression to somebody else's. Plus, as Ray, man, because Ray was always finger in my face, you guys all know what it feels like to have Ray Brown say to you, here's what you got to do, right? How many, Fix it's like every time I saw him, right, he said, Here what you, here's what you got to do. And one of the things that he taught me was, um, everybody has something to say. And we need to support each other in the say. And that came about because I stupidly said, uh, when he asked about, how is so-and-so? And I said, oh, she's fine. She's playing bass with a blind piano player. And then Ray said, oh, yeah, how did he sound? And I said, oh, about as good as a blind piano player could sound. <laughs> and Ray Brown froze and said, have you ever heard of Art Tatum? And you froze. Your, your screen froze, <laughs> and, too. And I love it. How apropos. His, his, his story was Art Tatum... <laughs> 
<laughs> my my internet connection is unstable. I hope I'm I'm sticking with you. No, it was you His said story the word froze. was froze. <laughs> <laughs> okay. His his story was that Art Tatum, with all the piano playing he could play, would get in a taxi and go across town to hear blues piano player play piano with one finger, with basically no technique. So, and that those stories reminded me that number one, we got to help people that are interested in playing at the higher levels. We got to help them along if we can. And number two, it everybody's got something to say. So anyway, that, that's my, my two cents that you okay. reminded me of in okay. terms of Ray Brown, Ray Brown Wait. lessons. I'm not done. <laughs> Hear me out. As a, <laughs> okay. As a piano player, as a piano player, I like, I'm accustomed to such excellence. I'm spoiled. And so in my heart, I certainly want to be proactive and helpful. And, and I truly do believe that's it's my purpose, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm, Ray's whole aesthetic about time mm. and rhythm, it's right there on any record. Because sometimes people will say to me, it must have really been something playing with Ray. What did it feel like? And I actually feel that this thing that both you, uh, John and Jeff did with those records early on when you were virtually kids playing along with the records with Oscar Peterson trio records, Ray's feeling and that time and that sound is there on the records. And, and I know that you're both huge advocates of us learning the language from the recordings and it's not just a language that you write out it's a it's a spirit it's it, there's so much love and i want to say uh we've gotten just uh, generationally um further away from a, a time when um swinging was sort of more the the norm the mainstream in the music and now there's so many beautiful things happening, so many different directions the music has taken. And this certain thing that, you, that you, we understand, you could also, another thing you could ask us to each sum up in one word, just raise concept, what he was about musically. If, if I could ask you, John, to talk a little bit about, if you would, if I'm not um, to feeding you too much by, by way of this question, if it's not too specific about how much Ray's uh, concept and his bass lines were all rooted in the blues and in standards American popular songs. Uh, what, about, what about the American popular songs? Say it again, please. Just how Ray's whole concept of the bass line, I think, th that he, that he oh, developed. In a, in a, in yeah. And I would say, it, like all of us, it's a, uh, coming together of all the people that have inspired us. So if, if you look at Ray Brown, you hear him, you immediately know after three notes it's Ray Brown. But if you analyze Ray Brown, you're going to hear the direct influences of Oscar Pettiford, Jimmy Blanton, Slam Stewart, um, a, a couple of others that were really big on his list. 
and 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 that it's the same thing. You know the drill, Jeff Jeffrey Keezer. You know the drill, Hammer. You know the drill. We devour the music by people that that really inspire us, and the next thing you know, parts of their vocabulary become ours. And it, even though we not be carving copies of those people, the influence is if you really pay attention discernible so when somebody puts on a record they're going to say oh that's benny green if they analyze benny green they're going to hear those influences same thing with ray brown same thing with me i think same thing with with all of us definitely 99 percent of the musicians that i know it, I, I think i don't know how you jeffrey it, and you and hammer feel about that there's there's one thing i wanted to mention about ray's bass lines um and and John, I know you can. I'm I'm sure you would agree. Um, is that they were they were like melodies unto themselves. Like I thought, you know, if you because I've transcribed some of Ray's bass lines just to have on hand to kind of show my students. You know, sometimes sometimes I ask my piano students to transcribe, you know, bass lines if, because they ask me like, how do I, you know, as a jazz pianist, how do I learn to play authentic bass lines? Like, how do I get my left hand to sound good playing bass lines? Like, well, you have to transcribe bass lines by bass players, you know, the same way you would transcribe piano solos or piano voicings. And so I, you know, I usually point them towards Ray and, you know, and, and, you know, Paul Chambers and, and a few other people, Ron Carter. But, you know, one thing about Ray and, and really any great bass lines is that I feel like if you take, put them in the treble clef, and you know, played them above the chord, that they would be beautiful melodies. You know, they they are always just they have an internal logic to them, and and they just, you know, they they're just they they just work so well. It's 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 you know, it's not just it's not just the time, or or the the time and the sound, of course, are are, are huge huge parts of it. But it's also the, the choice of notes and how to connect one chord to the next in a way that that makes sense. So you're not just up there thumping. You know, these <laughs> lines tell a story. Yeah, that's right. How about from your perspective, Hammer? Well, you know, it reminds me of what Ed Shaughnessy talked about when he was playing with a, a lizard bass player and when he was in New York. And the bass player would play dun 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 dun, dun like two notes, you know, the same note twice. And, I, and he, started, he was doing it all night. And finally, Ed said, I turned to him and I said, can, can you, you play, play any, any other, other notes than those, those, you know, because <laughs> he, he could sing his bass lines, you know, what was happening, you know, and now that's the complete opposite of what Ray did. Uh, you do the same thing. Many bass players do, and I wish more did actually, you know, start, start on the seventh of the chord or start on the, start on the tritone or start, you know, it's, it doesn't just have to be on the root. And that, that makes the, the music, the time, the feel have this continuity of motion that just kind of embraces everybody on the bandstand and without making them go with it, the, the note selection offers it to you to embrace everybody and bring them along with that baseline, which will then make you play differently in a way that maybe you didn't think you would be able to, but, the, but inspired by that baseline alone, it, sometimes it didn't matter what else was going on in the bandstand. If he would play, I just like it would be just like riding a wave until the end of the tune, you know, because that's how good it was. And and Jeffrey, you know, Israel Crosby was a big influence on Ray. He talked about him all the time, 
and you know you hear the holiday for strings in Ahmad Jamal's group as a baseline. Da 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 da. Played as a baseline. So I think I think Ray was thinking the same, and he he'd be a character sometimes and play some nursery rhyme as a baseline and fit it in and look at you to see if you're going to get it. And it just get tickled when it, you know, it finally set in, you know. So definitely melodies. But, you know, I drummers, drummers have a tendency to just play time and just play the rhythm and just comp and do what they're supposed to do. But when you got a bass player that offers you that, it can make you play differently. And your time will just soar. And, and the motion in your time is just change if you let it in. Yeah. Yeah, he just you breathed, know what? That, that's a perfect segue because I know that I know that uh, I, I know that not to inter, not interrupt you, Benny, but I know that Jeff Hamilton uh, and you uh, contributed a couple of video clips, and that's a perfect segue. I think uh, Greg Miller, would you mind playing Jeff Hamilton's uh, uh, video clip? Because I, I think that's that's that'll give us a chance to hear some of well, a lot of what we've been talking about and i love that idea that his bass lines affect the groove as well how hip is that so greg miller's gonna hook us up well what's happening i have my note with ray's trio and when he gave benny an opportunity to come in he said i'm thinking about this young benny green and Benny didn't know this. This is before the record date. And I said, well, he's great. And I'll, you know, it's probably going to work. And I'll finish this after. <laughs>
Wow. Jeff, Mindy, you guys have any? Um, oh my gosh. Oh man, that, good uh, times. That, good times. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me finish that story leading into this from, from when Ray was considering Benny. And uh, I had given my notice already because I was starting to feel like I wanted to start my own trio. And he said, all right, but don't leave me before I find another drummer. And I said, no, I'm not going to, you know. So then uh, Gene couldn't make those few gigs in Australia. And he said, I'm thinking about asking Benny to do that, but we need the record uh, to promote it in Australia. And I said, well, yeah, let's do the record. I, he said, I'm gonna fly him out. I said, great. So we do the first, it was Freddie the Freeloader, Benny. And, and you played your butt off on that, that first tune. And I'm playing, looking at you like this. And after the tune, we did like one take. And after the tune, there was a baffle between Ray and me about shoulder high. And I stood up and Ray had his hand on his hip, of course, and his arm around his base. And he says, so Hamsky, what do you think? I said, I would like to withdraw my resignation. <laughs> so, and I stayed, what, I stayed two years, Benny? Two more years? Yeah, two, two yeah. and a half. Yeah, when, when Benny joined the band, I said, that's it. I'm going to stay in the band, you know. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for, for giving me that opportunity to play with you and Ray together, man. Oh, great. It was great. It was nothing like it. it oh, man. It'll never, be, it'll never get like that again. <laughs> it really won't, man. Like, when we look, like, looking at the video, you know, it takes me back to that was our way of life because Ray, one of the things that we all know that we haven't mentioned today, but we're all aware of is Ray likes to stay on the road. He said, I don't like to be home watching TV. That's not my idea of a good time. And Ray loved to be playing. He, and, and, and because he was Ray Brown, he had something that people really wanted. When you say Ray Brown, you know what you're going to get. And so he could work. And he did. And he was, you know, he, he was such an entrepreneur. I've never met anyone an artist with such a beautiful balance of left and right brain. Mm. He, he was so creative and had so had his feet on the ground in terms of taking care of business. Hey, that's a good, good point. Jeffrey Kieser, do you remember some of the, uh, well, just some of the business tips and information that Ray Brown gave you, how did he help you out? Well, one thing, uh, so there's a couple things, um, you know, I, which I guess could be sort of considered business type things. Um, and, and it was more about just how to be an effective band leader. And, and he didn't talk a whole lot about it, but it was more by just observing him. And, and, you know, so one thing would be how to shape or program a set of music, of live music. And, you know, anyone that had seen Ray play live or, you know, the guys in the band remember how sometimes Ray would play this song, Milestones, the new Milestones, bop, 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 bop. That one, and that was like a really fast, fast tune. And Ray would always say after that, "Well, ladies and gentlemen, when you get to be my age, when you play a song that fast, you can bet the next one's going to be real slow." You know, <laughs> but you know, it wasn't just about being like a quote-unquote old guy playing a fast tune. It was, you know, for the audience, he knew that the next thing that they needed to hear would be something that would be in contrast to that. So you don't want to play like three or four fast tunes in a row. You know, you start to lose people. So, and, and so, and he would also mix up 
let's say standards or blues or, or originals, great American songbook stuff, it would be a nice variety of music in the set and variety of tempos, variety of feels. Um, there was always an entertainment aspect to it. And, you know, when I say that, I'm always saying, of course, the music we're doing, we strive to, to make music that's at a very high artistic level and it's complex music that we're playing. But it doesn't mean you can't have a good time, you know, and you could always I felt like you could always go to a Ray Brown gig and walk away from it feeling good, feeling happy, like you like like you, you know, your money was well spent, <laughs> you know, and um, the other thing was we were in the car one time talking about because we had uh, it, and it might have been partially because of, you know, we had uh, Kareem Riggins playing drums in our band at the time. He was the the, the two drummers that were in the, the trio that I, when I was in with Ray were, were Greg Hutchinson and then and then Kareem came in about a year and a half after. And, you know, Kareem is a, one of the greatest jazz drummers out here. He also loves to produce uh, tracks for hip hop artists. And he was doing some of that at the time, even on the road with Ray and kind of, you know, striking a balance between those two very kind of, you know, different things. And, you know, and so we got into a conversation with Ray about different trends happening in music and, you know, and, and Ray said, you know, I mean, I could do all of that stuff and I know he could, but he said, you know, when he, I think it was more about having a, he was kind of talking about like what we sometimes call a brand, you know? And he's like, I just do what I do. People come to a Ray Brown, people come to hear the Ray Brown trio and they know what to expect. And he said, why at this point in my career would I do something completely different? You know, like why would I go out with a rock band or do something, even though he could, do those things and probably enjoy it and do it do you know make make good music but he was like look this is what i do and he also you know said um that he felt like being a band leader that that if you were the band leader that you should be the primary composer and arranger in the band you know sometimes we would bring in a tune or bring in a little intro or bring in something but for the most part 90 seven percent of the music that the trio played was stuff that ray either composed or arranged and and that was the sound like that was his sound and that was his brand and i think he felt very strongly about that yeah all of that was all that was conceived on an electric keyboard in hawaii and so many times i wanted to fly over there and take a hammer to that keyboard because he would come back rested from that vacation and say okay hey i got an intro for you guys remember benny we say man i I can't play this. <laughs> I got one for you. One year I told Ray, man, how come we're playing everything in the key of C and F and G? <laughs> he said, oh, yeah. He says, he says be ready. <laughs> Careful what you ask for. That's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I got a what question. What happened after that? Gentlemen, what about um, Ray's... Um, like emphatic, like little shouts on the bandstand. Because I have a different view of that now than I did at the time. So you know what I'm talking about? He's like, ha! Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay, and, and he would do that. And sometimes, you know, some evenings he'd be a little more animated with it than others, correct? Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was positive. And you knew he was happy and he was into it. 
and you knew he was saying, come on, let's do it. Yes, yes. And, it, but, and sometimes I felt like, okay, okay, we're having fun. We're on it. Okay, cool it. But I'll tell you what, what I wouldn't give for one of those whoops right now. <laughs> Man, it yes. was love. I noticed it happened when he was, he was uh, uh, wanting to make somebody really hear the band. Like when Joe Williams was going to sit in with us with Gene Harris and, and Santa Fe, John, that jazz festival. And he wanted it to be hot for Joe. He didn't, you know, so he was, he was hollering more than ever. And it got to me that night. It was like, okay, I've had enough of this, you know? And so I walked up to him and I said, I said, Hey Brown, listen, I can tell you're not happy with what I'm doing. I'll find you another drummer tomorrow. And he goes, what are you talking about? He put his arm around me and walked me down the hall. I said, you're hollering at me like I'm not, I'm not making it. And I know that I'm covering this, but it's not apparently not enough. And he said, what's the matter with you? He said, look, I'm the bass player down in the bottom of all this and you and Harris are tearing it up. He said, all I can do is stand there and holler and be a cheerleader. He said, I can't get none of that. What you guys are doing. He said, I just, well, at some point, y'all, you just keep playing the bass lines and you got to start hollering. Now, don't give me that stuff about needing a drummer tomorrow, you know, and that was the end of that. that is, uh, His voice kept going up the pitch like that, too, didn't it? We had it. We shared, we shared a car service I, in L.A., and they called it the little girl voice. He said, I took Mr. Brown to the airport, and I was late, and I heard his little brown, little girl voice. Actually, if you think about it, Ray's voice, his timbre's got quite a range. It does. <laughs> So it was, it was all healthy. It was just, he was, he was a little nervous about, um, you know, like you know getting it for Joe, you know. I mean, sometimes, all right. this, sometimes this it would like be, oh, no, go ahead, sorry. No, no, be, Jeffrey, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say sometimes, um, it, sometimes they were sort of more practical musical cues too. Like he would say like, you know, give me four you know, hits and you go pop, 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 you know, those are all like pickups, right? You know, and a one, and a two, and a three, and a four with a big accent, like going into, you know, leading up to like a, like a double bar, like a new section of the tune or something. And, and I thought a lot of that was kind of big band oriented stuff. It, and, and I felt like we, we had one tune in particular, it was fried pies, the, you know, is it West Montgomery, the blues? Yep. And, yep. And he had three shout choruses written, you know, that would break up, you know, in the piano solo, you know, you'd be cooking along and then shout chorus number one. And then after that, you were supposed to take it up a notch and then shout chorus number two. And then like, you know, you're supposed to play more and more and more and shout chorus number three is supposed to be even bigger than that. And I just thought, man, I got to really pace myself because I'm already like at shout chorus two, I'm already playing 10 fingers, double fisted, you know, block chords that double... <laughs> forte as loud as I can play I don't and, and he would say like more 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 and I'm like I don't have any more I don't know what to do you know what I mean? but he just wanted like you know more and more energy and it was great because it out these tunes always had like a such an incredible uh curve to them you know what I mean say hey, Jeff yeah yeah can you please tell us the story about when Ray um was, you were on the bandstand and Ray shouted the word out which Jeff? No, out. O U T. Are you talking um, about Jeff? Must be Jeff Hamilton. Oh, I don't know. I don't know the Jeff. I don't know story. that one. Benny, who are you talking to? 
Jeff Keezer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Jeff. I don't I don't remember him saying out. Okay, this is the story I remember you telling me. And jump in, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're playing, and there was a horn solos with the trio. And Ray said out. And so you like open up the chords a little bit. And Ray leaned in and he said, out. And like you you started stretching even more. And he said, out. And you took it even further out. And finally, Ray said, "No, lay out, lay out." That's well. That sounds probably. That sounds about right. I mean, you know, just a quick story. Like, I mean, I was trying to. I think I was 26 years old and having a, you know, a midlife cri or a mid midlife crisis or something. And I was trying to be the weird guy in the band. You know, I'm coming on coming behind like these incredible. You know, we were talking earlier. My phone. My you know, phone cut out, but we were talking about just the incredible lineage of pianists that Ray had played with. And, you know, even if, you know, so I'm thinking, God, you know, I'm, I've got to come up with something, you know, different and certainly not better and not, never be better, but, but at least different than, than what Oscar and, and Monty and Gene and Benny did. So my solution was just to play weird, you know, and play kind of out there and it never bothered Ray any, you know, he could, he totally went along with it, but, one night we were playing Tin Tin Deo, Dizzy Gillespie song, and we, we, he played it in D minor, and it was kind of a you know medium swing, and and I think I started quoting the Imperial March from the Star Wars, dun 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 dun, dun. and he just leaned over and said, "Jazz, please." <laughs> but, but, you know, Ray was so receptive, as we all know, to the, his various band members. And Jeff, when yeah. you in the band, it really opened up the harmony. And I know from the inside, because I talked with Oscar from a conversation that Oscar had had with Ray, and Ray really appreciated uh, what you brought tonally to the band. And so, like, we don't even realize, like, the things that Ray heard in us and, and like, how he really, he embraced that. If you, anyway, I just wanted to say, like, from the audience perspective, after I left the band, you just brought so much to the trio. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, it's just, it was such a just a uh, huge, huge shoes to fill. You know, <laughs> I do so, know. I was trying to do something. Um, oh, another just just kind of funny story related to that. Uh, and Benny, you, you mentioned at the beginning of this chat about the long tours in Europe and kind yeah. of night after night of one nighters, and and I think that we were in. Sweden or somewhere and we had maybe done 26 or 27 nights in a row with no nights off and you know and, and I I have I'm not trying to come across as like disrespectful in any way I think I was just you know maybe by night 27 I was bored just not with Ray but with my own playing I was just bored with I couldn't think of anything different to do that night so I thought you know what I'm just gonna play straight blues nothing but blues scales all night no matter what's going on no matter what the chord changes are i'm just going to play straight blues and and just see what happens and that's and ray like very rarely said anything to me at all i just uh, as long as he kept calling me for gigs i thought i, I guess i was okay <laughs> doing all right but that was the one night he came up to me and put his arm around me and said you sure sound good tonight kid <laughs> really he said, you sure sound good tonight, kid, because I was trying to, I was kind of trying to do like, 
so some are, kind of like a poor impersonation of of Gene Harris or something. I don't know what I was trying to do, but I was, I, I just kind of, you know, said I'm just gonna I'm just gonna like play some blues all night. And I, I guess, and then I thought to myself, wow, is that? So have you been just basically tolerating me all this time? Is that really you just wanted me to just give you something down the middle? <laughs> just you know what I mean? But it was it's funny, but but Maybe you know. He does no matter where, anything. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> knowing, knowing Ray the way I did, and the way you guys did too, but knowing Ray the way I did, there was a, a deeper message there. I, I'm sure of it. He was in in complimenting you the way he did because we all know that he he loved your playing. Uh, you know, from the beginning, from day one, and he also saw the changes that you were going through and he had his eyes open he saw what you were going through and he yeah. was very wise and he heard what you were doing as well so i believe he was putting his stamp of approval on your search you know if this that's, meant that you were cool. going to you know i i, I think that's what he because he he gave me so many lessons like that man i i that was just the ray brown way I think all of us have stories like that. Wow, that's 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 beautiful. I, you know, no, I've never. Uh, that thank you, John. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that insight and that that wisdom. You, you know, Ray, Ray Ray knew I was from from a small town in Wisconsin, and and whenever he wanted me to to get, you know, funky or play some blues on stage, he would say, "Give me some of that Wisconsin grease." <laughs> he said, "Deep fried cheese curds." <laughs> we, we've got some, we've got some grease in wisconsin you know it's 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 a little different but <laughs> we're gonna run out of time i'm sorry before yeah. we do a couple no 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 this i love this I, we could as you both all three of you know we could do this all night easily um but ray was a practical joker and not a lot of people know about that and that side of him. They know, you know, how, how happy and how positive and smiley he was, but they don't know about the practical joke side of it. So do you, any of you have any antics that you had to endure of Ray Brown's that, you, that come to the surface right now? Now, most of his antic days, I think, were probably before I joined him. I, there, there weren't really that I can remember on the spot that there were. Not true. Not true. <laughs> help me out. <laughs> then you tell me what it is, and I'll tell the story. Airport. Oh, well. I was there. You can't tell that story. <laughs> I can't tell that story. You can't tell. Yeah. No, you can't tell the story. No. <laughs> Go ahead. No, the no, wheelchair no, no. store? I got my thinking cap on. Mr. Keezer. <laughs> Tell, I mean, I, I don't really know, have any from my tenure in the band, but I do have a couple stories that he told me about the Oscar Peterson trio. He said that they used to mess with each other all the time. And, and you know how, like, a um, if you play two sets or something on the break, the bass player will usually put just set their bass down on stage somewhere. Um, 
and he said Oscar used to go up onto the stage when Ray wasn't looking and detune all of his strings, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and then Ray said he got him back, but he got a handful of ball bearings, like little metal pellets, and he threw them in the strings, threw them into the piano on, on the strings. So when Oscar started playing, it was like, you know, you can just imagine this kind of stuff going on all the time. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, I know more. I know more about those, uh, Jeffrey. You know what they did, and 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 Oscar being wrapped up in Saran wrap, naked. You know, and and they took the dry, not Saran wrap, dry cleaning plastic, and they and Ray wrapped it around him down Jazz the Philharmonic, and walked him up on stage like a mummy on the side of the stage while Bill Harris was playing a ballad, and 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 he's and you know he's got his mouth just barely cutting through the plastic, just get his attention. And Ray says, hey, Harris. And Bill Harris looked over and saw Oscar naked in this dry cleaning plastic and completely blew the ballad, you know, and said, I'll get you, you know. So then they played a, an opera stage, you know, where they're slanted, they're in, they're in Italy. And, uh, and Bill Harris took uh, the, the tray of wine bottles and glasses that the, the waiter was taking back to the kitchen. He gave the guy some money and took the tray off his hands and put it up on top of one of the stage ladders. And Norman Grant says, to end this concert, we'd like to have Oscar Peterson come out and play tenderly. And Oscar said, I don't want to go out and do that alone. He says, no, I, I believe me, it'll, it's a perfect encore. So Oscar strides out and he goes on, the, the evening breeze, da -da 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 -da, caress the creed, da -da 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 -da. and Bill Harris goes, boom, to the ladder, and the tray falls on the stage and the bottles are rolling. Oscar said he had to raise his feet for the bottles to roll under him, you know. So all those guys were doing that all the time then, you know. Well, I can help you out a little. Don't you remember when you were really sick? At the uh, <laughs> you thought you were going to get away with it. Yeah. That's a story you can tell. Yeah, I had been. Yeah, because it was we were up. We were up late, and we were in Scotland, and yeah, uh, and there was no uh, elevator, right? So I I missed the wake. Uh, Benny, I never missed a lobby call, right? Well, let me say you were sick. Uh, I got that. Okay. And so I get a knock on my door, and I open it, and it's Ray, and he said, "You're late. Get in the shower and let's go. We're all downstairs." And he packed what little clothes I had left out in the suitcase. And I went downstairs and he said, get in the van. And we drove to the van through uh, Inverness, which is all winding roads like that. And man, I wasn't feeling good. And he said, he said, go sit down. When we get to the airport, go sit down. So I sit down and I got my collar up on my coat and I'm kind of like trying to get it together. And a, a British Airways attendant comes over and says, Mr. Hamilton, we have the wheelchair that, uh, that you required or requested. And I said, uh, I don't think I requested a wheelchair. She says, yes, yeah, so Mr. Brown requested it for you. And I look over his shoulder and he's been over double in the ticket line laughing, you know. And, um, and so I got in the chair. <laughs> so yeah, he got, he got me that day, yeah. Yeah, I regret not taking a photo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you have one, Vinny? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of the ones I can tell, man. Um, okay, this is, if it's not funny, I think it's kind of interesting if I may share this. If I may be so transparent. We were playing at uh, Jazz Alley in Seattle. And they put on 
without Ray knowing what it was, they put on one of my records. And it was, it was one where I was playing, it was um, a record um, called The Place to Be, and we played uh, the nursery rhyme, Say Say Old Playmate. Breakneck tempo, like Max Roach fast, like really fast, Kenny Washington and Christian. And I'm eating dinner with Ray, <clears throat> and it's playing, I wouldn't say quiet, not loud, kind of medium level, you know, on the house speakers, and that track comes on. And Ray puts the fork down on his plate, and he says, you see, you hear that tempo? I said, he says, I said, yeah, he says, yeah, that's just too fast. <laughs> he says, he says, you hear what I'm saying? I said, yeah, I hear what you're saying. He says, yeah, he says, I understand. He says, that's, you know, when the musicians want to play fast for each other, I get it, but I mean, that's, that's just too fast. Right, Dado? I said, yeah. I said, okay. He went back to eating. Apparently, after we ate, he must have asked someone in the club, what record is that that's playing? And they said, well, that's your pianist record. That's Benny Green. So, and I was cool with it. I, th I thought it was like, it was great to have him be that candid. Maybe he wouldn't have opened up that much if he knew it was my record, you know? Um, and so we got on the bandstand, it's time to hit. And it was this beautiful, beautiful eye contact that we had, this beautiful exchange we had, unspoken. You know, Ray was at his base, I'm sitting at the piano and he looked at me and he said, you cool? And I just looked at him with a big smile because I knew what he meant. I said, absolutely. And we had the best night, man. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Well, you know what? We're going to run out of time. I, I, and Jeff, I mean, sorry, Benny, you brought a, uh, a video for us to check out too. And I think it's the perfect way for us to, to go out and appreciate Ray Brown, you, and um, I forgot, I think it, is it Greg Hutchinson on drums on this one? Yep. On the track that you sent? Yes, it is. Yeah. So let's go ahead and enjoy this and we'll say good night on the other side. Greg Miller, hook us up, please.
You say where I come from, damn. That was so great. So we are, I'm really grateful that you guys could uh, join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeffrey Kieser, who's on the road. Thank you, yes. Benny Green. That was awesome. Thanks for having me. I Thank loved all the stories. That's <laughs> great. Thank you, Jeff Hamilton, my main Dude. man. Uh, thank you all the people that helped make this happen, Centrum. And uh, thank you, Ray Brown. His spirit is with us forever. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator of Jazz Voicings is program manager Greg Miller, and our host is artistic director John Clayton. Centrum's executive director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our executive producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Squalum people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington.